0: Hello, listeners, and hey, Phil. Hey, Laurie. Welcome to Season 2, Episode, episode 35 of the Super Belly Bros and Movie Land podcast, which equivalates, I can't think of any words, Phil, it's going to be a bad show, to about <laughs> 85 episodes or more, I think.
1: I think it is roughly that, yeah, I can't do the maths, but no. yeah. We're way, way down into Season 2. It's a true
0: story. We're becoming like season pros, Phil. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, before we start the show proper, I've actually got a few things to do in this intro, which I hope won't make it tedious. The first one certainly isn't tedious, because listeners... I'm going to embarrass him Phil got engaged last week way
1: to go little bro thank you very much I really wasn't expecting you to do it in the intro I thought you're going to do it right at the end but thanks nope, I'm going to embarrass you my yet. face is red I feel it <laughs> my, my blood is rushing to my face anything you want to say oh it was a very happy day I was very glad to get engaged and I'm very pleased you said yes and yeah it's really fun it's a I messed up the proposal didn't do a smooth job on the chat chat but it was a nice time I
0: don't think anyone ever gets it quite right do they?
1: I don't know. I just remember thinking, I do not know what to say, but I really love this person, so I'm just going to oh, go with it. And then also, I remember right afterwards, there. my voice going really, really high, realizing <laughs> how excited I was that Whoa. she said yes. So there you go. That's yeah, really nice. Isn't
0: it? Listeners and Phil, where can they send uh, engagement gifts to? Um, hmm, like a PO box? <laughs> <No>. yeah, <laughs> SBB PO box thirty one at Movie Land Lane. Is that the right? Yeah, one? something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If
1: you're really desperate nobody's gonna say
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh right listeners on with the show now well oh, this is even going to be worth doing I'm going to do it Phil okay ready so I was on BBC Radio Oxford and BBC Radio Berkshire quite a lot over the last couple of weeks I don't know whether you caught me did you Phil on the airwaves I saw your Facebook post about it being like come on listen guys listen to me on the blah blah blah."
1: and I didn't manage to listen to any of them I've been very busy getting yeah, engaged oh, and all oh, that sort always of
0: stuff an oh typical. Well, typical not typical at all uh, yeah I was really delighted to be asked to chat about Bambi about James Bond and about increasing spending by the public in cinema, apparently, in the last year. I've become an expert in a load of topics, Phil, <laughs> overnight.
1: I know. I bet you were cribbing, like, the night before, yeah.
0: Well, you'll never know, will you? All you can go by is my <laughs> polished performance. Uh, but one of the key things I noticed, and thank you very much, BBC Oxford and BBC Parks, I really love that. One of the things I noticed was that I do definitely change my persona quite a lot Absolutely, for, for yeah. the audience. Yeah, because yeah. you've got to do it for the audience, haven't you? Because the, <laughs> the people who listen to that sort of radio station are, you know, according to demographics anyway, likely to be slightly older, more venerable. They want someone who sounds... Calm and authoritative on topics Uh, so for example I would probably talk a little bit more like this and with a lot of character in my voice and certainly a lot of laughs. Like that, Phil. Because what I'm talking about is funny and we're best friends. Even though we've never met before and I'm yeah. just doing it down the phone and I'm surrounded by, you know, underwear drying on drying racks and things. So we're having a great time talking about films. And that's what I really wanted to say. So there you go. How was that, Phil? It's very,
1: very professional. It's like your Blue Peter presenter. Well,
0: thanks so much. But, you know, the, I then heard this story that's now old that Radio 1 are looking for new presenters. Are you aware of this?
1: Yeah, I am. They can't find any, like... Like,
0: uh, new ones, can they? Precisely so, Phil. They cannot find Radio 1-style talent anywhere, so... What did that make me think, Phil? You know, here's the chance to show off (laughs) time audition radio chameleon skills. Are you going to join me in this? Should we do a bit of a Radio 1 intro? Yeah, yeah, I think we should go for it. Ready? Okay, so listeners, our intro to the show this week is going to be done as our Radio 1 audition. So all you Radio 1 commissioning editors out there, check this. Hey, and welcome back to the Super Betty Bros in Movie Land podcast. (laughs) It's great to have you alongside with us. Phil, we're having a great time in this video today, aren't we? I can't believe how great it is to have the guests coming on the show later. It's going to be great. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. And we've got some more Top 10s for you coming up later. And also, we're going to be chatting to Barbara about the coolest festival gear this summer. Thanks for all those who tweet about Stormzy. He's got a great new track out. Check it out right now. Yeah. But on to the business of the show this week. We are going to talk about <laughs> movies. Who doesn't love a... <laughs> Turn, down the twang. Turn down the twang. I can't. It's all about twang. You've got to be regional. Fun. Okay. okay. We've go. we got some movies to chat through. Phil, what have you been to see this week, man? I've been to see the new Emoji Movie. Can you believe it? They've done an Emoji Movie. Oh, safe, mate. I can't believe that. What's your favourite emoji? Oh, uh,
1: definitely 100. What? The 100 emoji. That's not a thing. That's is a it? thing of 100
0: okay yeah right the 100 emoji i mean can can you judge me if i say my favorite is the poo one phil that's what we're all thinking isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. all right okay great stuff we're looking forward to hearing now later thanks man and i've been to see atomic blonde charlie's Theron dons the blonde wig and wow's us all with some spy magic
1: she's certainly atomic
0: (laughs) oh nicely said phil okay what else we got in uh, this week's show
1: well we gotta be what talking about what we've been watch- I've got. I
0: gotta stop you there, I gotta stop you there. We are gotta play the Radio One Sweeper. We'll be back straight after this thing. Super baby brothers, brothers, brothers. You honestly look like a cake. I can't believe you said that last week. Hey stop that man, get me an ice cream. You want to play Uno? Radio 1, possibly. Okay, we're back. Sorry, Phil, go on. Oh, yeah, we're also going to be doing some What We've Been Watching. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's right. We've got a slight twist on the uh, on the What We've Been Watching this week, haven't we? Oh, we're going to mix it up a little bit. Get your tweets in. Hashtag Radio One is great. That's right. And we've actually got a tweet here right now, right now for all from... <laughs> <laughs> We've actually got a tweet here right now, Phil, from Danger Mouse number 991, and they're saying, Hey, guys, lol, loving the new sound. Awesome. Yeah, that's Uh, great, isn't it? uh, We really appreciate that, mate. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. Okay. Make sure you email the show and tweet us at SuperBaileyBros, SuperBaileyBros at gmail.com. Nicely said, Phil. Okay. One little tiny extra thing is going to come up that uh, I'm going to hit you with. It's going to be a little discussion prompt to Phil, so get your phones ready now. Get your iPads ready now. Is that what people use, iPads?
1: You would never say discussion discussion on radio one okay rewind rewind okay <laughs> what's
0: the word what's the word chit chat okay and we've got some great chit chat coming up we're going to prompt you off uh, text your thoughts in it's going to be a great to and fro set to some banging tune nice <laughs> hold on what do they say <laughs> just play the jingle man yeah
1: <laughs> how
0: do you think phil is that a good audition
1: oh so good so good
0: yeah, yeah. let's hope we get the job right shoo I'll be honest, so When I heard the title "Atomic Blonde," two things popped into my head. Blondie? No, not Blondie. First one was uh, like an ice lolly. I can imagine an Atomic <laughs> Blonde ice lolly. Do you know what I mean? Sort of
1: slightly sour, but uh, vanilla ice cream underneath. Yeah, or
0: like a good time, actually, really cheap as dirt, like lemonade ice lolly. I used to love those. <laughs> they were good back in the day, or a really terrible, like early two thousands girl band.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. I see that.
0: And what I was going to say before I saw this film was that that is actually rather like the film that I just saw. You know, (laughs) as enjoyable as that. That's (laughs)
1: that's you admitting your review technique for your written reviews anyway. You you get the idea before you go see the film.
0: But I can't use it because the film is not that the film is much better than that oh so i'm glad to be able to re- open the show with a positive review for once listeners atomic blonde is a film starring Charlize theron as a super spy lorraine she's working for mi6 and she is sent into berlin right at the height of the tensions between east and west but just before that wall was knocked down so towards the end of the 80s and there's that kind of 80s pop aesthetic going on can you imagine the world back then yeah I, I was two at the time so you know i can't claim to have a huge out of experience, but yes, Duran Duran, and there's some kind of terrible spy intrigue going on. They've had a contact who seems to have a list of of spies, you know, which is very dangerous for the security of those people. A knock list, do you it mean? Will very, yeah, Mission Impossible style, that's right. Uh, and he was supposed to be found by the station head in Berlin for MI6, but something's gone wrong. There's all other kinds of spies in here, because when East's meeting West, that is fertile ground mm. for espionage, isn't mm. it? So she has been sent in to solve this problem, and she certainly is an atomic blonde. She's got a ridiculous blonde wig, and she is super sassy, super cool, and, you know, it's no good way to say Say these words, but super sexy as well. Phil, this film oozes like genuinely oozes sexuality and style from every pore all the time. So you, I know it's you say ooze and pore <laughs> in the same sentence. I saw, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the least that's sexy thing I've phrase. ever heard. <laughs> oh dear uh and then it becomes a sort of action adventure thing but mixed with spy intrigue as well all set to the backdrop of yeah the coldest city which is the name uh, of the comic series that this story is adapted from it's all about berlin uh, in that period of time and the underhanded dealings that were going on so does that make you want to see it already uh, I have to admit, the trailers weren't really selling it for me when I've been watching films. I've
1: seen it, and I thought oh, it just looks very average, very like ordinary. But then it has got James McAvoy in it as well, yes, hasn't it? That's and right. it's
0: also got Sophia Batella, I Butella. Sophia yes, from Star Trek and from what was The, the Mummy. The Mummy, where she is the mummy, right? Mm. Yeah, okay. And so
1: I'm wondering if maybe there's a bit more going on. Maybe. It's one of those things which could go either way. Either it has a lot of style but isn't really showing its hand too much, or it's actually just very thin and it's style as a substance.
0: Well, and how do your feelings change when I tell you that it's directed by David Leach, whose partner in crime on a very famous film was Chad Stahelski names ring any bells? No. John Wick. Oh, interesting. As in The Stunt Guys. The Jew- yeah for, exactly. for the Matrix. The stunt guys from The Matrix who converted to directing and came in with John Wick, a massive cult hit. Apparently, Charlize Theron is a big fan of as well, John right. Wick. Right. And that, that's partly what led her to think about this production. And she lured David Leach away from the partnership with Chad Stahelski while John Wick 2 was being made. So, this is David Leach, half the directing duo of John Wick, being lured away to direct a different film, but with slightly similar idea.
1: Tell you what, it's nearly as cutthroat as the movie idea, isn't it? All the background dealings in Hollywood. Zing! <laughs> Nicely done, Phil.
0: But how does that make you feel? Does that feel make you feel positive or not, the John Wick guy?
1: Potentially, if you, especially if you think about your review for John Wick Two, in which yes. you said it didn't seem to have the same sort of magic as the first one. Mm-hmm. Maybe the the magic was, in fact, David Leach.
0: Well, what a sad and also good story, because that is the case. I think really on the strength of this, David Leach is the man with the magic and chad tahelski is more the grinder yeah so john wick 2 i didn't like it felt old it felt tired the action felt lackluster the story was boring it was filled with cliches and it was massive wish fulfillment i'm not going to deny that those things aren't present to a certain degree in atomic blonde but in terms of the sheer style and pace and immersion of the camera work the angles the plot structure the editing which is really nice and sharp uh, I I think David Leach's streaks ahead. It's um yeah, it's a worrying thing for Chad Stahelski Do we have a clip from the movie? That we do, Phil. Yes. Here is a clip of Lorraine landing in Berlin on assignment, where she's instantly met by some slightly suspicious characters in a car who chat to her about Berlin, and well, then things escalate from there, and she meets someone else by the end of it. Here we go. So, is this your first time in Berlin? Yes. Well, it's a remarkable time to be here. Wonderful music, superb nightlife, marvelous restaurants. You must try the Central Cafe for a drink. You'll need it later. You remember Mr. Bremovich, don't you? Of course you do. Well, he's very curious what you're doing here in Berlin. <laughs> Welcome to Berlin. I'm David. <laughs> Don't shoot. I've I've got your shoot Yeah, I think that's quite a nice little one-liner to end uh, a scene, right?
1: Mm, Yeah, that was James McAvoy at the end, wasn't it? It
0: was. James McAvoy is David Percival, I think is his character name, and he's the station head of MI6 in Berlin, and he is her principal contact. But you'll even possibly hear from that clip, there's a slight trust issue there because the whole world has gone mad, right? And espionage crazy. And the boss who sent her on this mission said, don't trust anybody, even though he sent her to be in contact with James McAvoy. So I think, Phil... This is a really, really enjoyable film. I think it is paced brilliantly, except for some small lags towards the ends and scenes that maybe could have used a cut away quicker because it, we didn't need to linger. But beyond that, I, I really kind of thought it was exceptional from an action movie point of view because so much of the set dressing and the approach to the cinematography tells you about the place that you're in that you don't need to waste time on the exposition, really. They just get right on with it. Like you said, when that clip started, you said to me, is this bad exposition? Because they started talking. And then presumably you realised quite fast that no, it wasn't because they were, didn't talk for very it long. It wasn't about the
1: talking. It was about... No. Yeah, there it's, you a,
0: go. it's a film that really knows how to immerse you in an experience very fast. I think that is hugely helped by Berlin the city itself I know some of it I think was shot in Budapest but lots of it was also shot in Berlin I don't know if you've ever been Phil
1: no I haven't I've always wanted to
0: really recommend it I've been and there is something really amazing about Berlin as a city because it's huge it's got these massive open squares and you really can feel like you're still in the 1980s because of some of the imposing architecture that has survived and although some parts of Berlin are ultra sort of modern you could shoot it in such a way that it felt like the 1980s which is exactly what they've done here the colour panel and the architecture and the sort of cool urban neon lighting is used so brilliantly uh, by David Leitch and, and the cinematographer to create that atmosphere. It's just the perfect setting. Do you care about Charlize Theron's character, though? Well, that is the next massive thing that comes to it. I sort of, can I talk about caring about her in a, a, a one second? Because I think the main thing that was making me really sceptical from the trailers, and I did think the trailer made it look terrible, and I even said on the radio the trailers look terrible, might be one to avoid. The question is, can you buy Charlize Theron as this central character? Do you believe that she's a super capable, super physical, super stylish, super suave secret agent who's fantastic at her job? Or not. There's a lot of pressure at the moment to get these amazing female archetypes into cinema so that we can all celebrate the way that women are amazing at all kinds of things, including this. And occasionally you might say the attempt to do that has made it seem a bit tacky and like they're trying to push something that isn't really there. Mm. I think... This is brilliant. I had no idea Charlize Theron was going to be able to pull this out of the bag. Really? Even with uh, Mad Max and everything? Well, then that's what everyone's saying, right? Mad Max is the proof of concept for this. It may have gone a long way towards helping get the film made, the success of that film, and Charlize Theron as the sort of action hero protagonist. Furiosa, yeah. This is way more impressive than anything she did in Mad Max Fury Road. In particular, something I didn't like about John Wick 2, where I basically thought, even with still cameras to allow Keanu Reeves to do Kung Fu and stuff. He looked old to me and he looked slow to me and I wasn't very impressed by the choreography and I didn't find the fights believable. I really do believe Charlize Theron. The camera work and the choreography is such that it looks like she has massive force behind her punches, her kicks... When she wallops people with microwave doors or portable hobs and, you know, gets involved in really like horrible, like face pulling, really kind of intimate scrabbly fighting. It's really, really believable. And she is incredibly believable in it. So that is a massive success, I have to say.
1: It does seem like from the clips that you showed me and things, the, the look of the film is strong. The action seems to be strong. Is the story up to much?
0: Well, the story, like I say, it's based on this graphic novel that I don't know much about, The Coldest City. I don't know how loosely or closely it's based on it, but it's obviously working from source material that has survived quite well. So there probably is innately valuable story material in there. And I was sort of intrigued and I didn't quite know how it was going to work. They use this framing device where the opening of the film is actually not quite the opening, but nearly the opening of the film is her sat in a booth talking to intelligence bosses and trying to explain what happened on this mission that seems to have gone wrong. And It's told in sort of flashbacks, but also present day. So there is a lot of intrigue, but it loses its way a little bit towards the end
1: like a little bit too double crossy and flippy just roundy. not very
0: clear and not necessarily very well done it almost seems like the director is far more interested in what he's brilliant at which is setting the scene doing the fighting making intrigue happen and when it comes to answers and tying up loose ends not so much mm. so it all happens quite fast and you're gonna have to rack your brain to remember why and who and all that sort of stuff
1: what i am curious about is john wick has a little bit of a kind of fantastical element to it in the sense that there's this sort of assassin's code behind behind the scenes a hidden world does this film have a sort of super skilled specialist spies who have unique abilities or whatever or talents in particular areas or is it more sort of realistic than that
0: they're not differentiated in that way so that spies don't have a super skill like you might expect from a video game for example a bit more like john wick they more just seem like spies who have got varying levels of competence varying networks And different sort of approaches but no it it is a believable world of espionage filled with more disreputable characters than james bond characters i really liked it i think a lot of people will be seduced by it and it did make me think you know why is this so much fun like why is it so much fun to imagine a sort of semi-lawless world that exists beneath the veneer of this sort of kind of fashionable city and this world of old technology as well. And I think there is something really romantic about it. So I wouldn't necessarily call it fantastical and fairy tale like, more sort of romantic and imaginative
1: sounds like you really enjoyed it and it sort of was a bit of a surprise hit with you
0: Revelation honestly I think I I thought David Leach. I think he's great I really really looking forward to seeing what he does in future because I think if he was able to restrain himself because like some of the action scenes are really quite impressive there's one which does incredibly long shots with a handheld camera and I think they disguised cuts in it to make it feel like a real time action sequence on the stairs and in cars very sort of visceral but it felt baggy to me in places like I could see the fact that this was a Thing the director wanted to achieve, rather than a thing that was done purely was for a, the sake of the It's film. him
1: showing off, rather than like serving the story,
0: or having an idea that he really wanted to do, and it slightly got away from him. But honestly, all those things are just like it's just like a bush fill that needs pruning, and it'll grow into a beautiful flower or something. Oh, like lovely, that. thanks very much, Phil. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next. I thought Charlie's Theron was totally believable. I really bought it, even though. And this was massively working against her. And I can't believe no one else has said it yet. You've seen Arrested Development, Phil. Charlize Theron plays a big part in season three of that series where she puts on an English accent that is meant to be believable. And it turns out she's not really what she appears to be for quite specific reasons. And then also she was in, I think, it, was it Mirror Mirror or something like that? Or the enti- As a remember. white queen. Yeah, the white queen, uh, where she was also putting on a terrible uh, English accent. They no, weren't the Huntsman, I think it was. And maybe it was that. And so to have English accent Charlie Theron again, I thought, oh, here there's, we go again. There's such a big hill to come over here, but I didn't even notice it. I was really, really impressed. She's so. a
1: she's a funny one because she's had such a variety in her career. Because she obviously did um, that Oscar-winning portrayal of uh, Real Monster. Life Monster, Monster. Yeah, where she put on all the weight and her she completely transformed. But then also she's done sort of more poppy blockbustery stuff like Mad Max and, and yeah, like yeah, this. Yeah. And you're saying this is a good one.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to from all the principals of the film, including James McAvoy, but I guess he's more proven in this sort of role because we've seen him do loads of stuff. Because he was in um, that terrible gun film, what was it called? Wanted. Wanted, which is awful, I think it's terrible. And he was in Filth as well, he's been in X-Men. He's gone all around the block and he's brilliant again here. Talented guy. Yeah, so all in all listeners, I really loved it and I think you'd enjoy it. I would say the script is pretty poor, but that's to be expected. Two questions then. One, first of all, what's the grade? I am going to give it a B plus. I really
1: enjoyed it. That sounds good. I'm tempted to go see it myself. I, I think, think you'll really love it. Yeah. I wanted to go see it, but then you said you've already seen it, <laughs> so I saw the emoji movie instead.
0: So I'm a little bit annoyed about that. But that's oh well. how it goes, man. Second question is: Do you think our mum will go see it? Yeah, good question. So it's worth saying that there's uh, like you know I said it oozes sexuality from every pore, which is a phrase you didn't enjoy, Phil. Um, there's yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of sex and sex appeal in this film. Uh, uh, and of a kind that I well, some people are saying it's controversial I don't think it really is anymore but be aware that it'll test your metal. and some of the violence in it is not extreme but it's very sort of intimate violence so that will make you kind of go oh no wow. that was
1: a much more in depth question to what I thought I was oh, really? asking I was just saying, making fun of
0: the fact that my
1: mum loves James McAvoy oh right
0: <laughs> <laughs> well look good there yeah, you she, go she, hi mum hi <laughs> she get good James McAvoy uh, coverage in the film yeah I think that's a mean <laughs> joke to make these days love you mum <laughs> uh, okay yeah so go see it listeners And tell me what you think. I'd really love to know. I think it's one of the best sort of purely escapist films I've seen for a long time. Oh, check it out. Atomic Blonde. Phil, I think this looks like a postmodern movie in the sense that it would appear to me that it's been scientifically constructed to irritate me on just about every level possible. And therefore, I imagine a large section of society. And the reason I say postmodern is it's almost like, uh, yeah, so what? Am I right? I
1: don't. I don't think it is actually as cynical as you might think, really? or as or as constructed as you might think. The Emoji Movie. I cannot believe I'm going to have to talk about it this week. But there you go, doing my job. Yeah, um, come on, man. We all love it. I think it's trying to piggyback on the the success of the films like Trolls, like the Lego Movie, Power Rangers, Angry based, Birds. Surely, it's Angry Birds parallel. as well. Yeah. So basically, it's, I think it's just saying, "Oh, look, here's here's something which people like." Let's try and make a movie out of it. Let's make, have fun with this idea, even though it's ridiculous. And you think, how on earth is there ever going to be a movie about that subject? But people can do it and they have done it. Cinema's been doing this for ages, but emojis seem particularly sort of vapid and empty well, as like a concept.
0: There is literally nothing to go on because these things are supposed to express someone else. So how can you tell a story about those things that are the medium for someone else's expression? Well, the way they do that
1: is, in fact, by grabbing hold of loads and loads of these different ideas and kind of squidging them together from kids' movies. So, in this world, you have uh, all the different emojis are characters. They're people, much like in Wreck-It Ralph. They're actual people within someone's actual phone. So, they exist in an app, which is kind of like a city. And so, this app is called (laughs) Texopolis. And each of the emojis is a, a living being that is there to serve the owner of the phone and each time he wants to use an emoji they have to be ready to convey the emotion that they're expected to convey okay got it so if you're a super happy cryy face you, are, you have to be crying with laughter all the time that's your job you do that all the time, even in your day job. What about and then when they when go the... to
0: sleep? Did they ever just go tired? And
1: They don't really talk about that. So okay. well, I won't talk about it. But anyway, they go to like the little tech centre and they get ready to get picked. And then when they get picked, they need to deliver on that emoji or else something bad will happen. Amongst all of this little world, we've got Jean, who is the meh emoji.
0: I can see where they're going with this. This is like Woody Allen out of Ants, right?
1: Yeah, a little bit. And also you've got Toy Story kind of elements in there as well, like serving a higher human being sort of thing. Right, got it. And then you've got the Lego movie ideas all in there as well. Sort of a hidden world that we don't really realise. And it's all kind of parodying things that we already know, but kind of twisting it. A bit it. of reference,
0: a bit of pop cultural references. Exactly. A lot Phil. of pop culture references mm. in Which there. Which we all love. I mean, I can't get enough of it.
1: I'm going to be honest, Laurie, I feel exhausted talking about it. <laughs> you've talking been talking about,
0: about it for about a minute. Are you <laughs> like, serious?
1: <laughs> oh, This film is an hour and ten minutes long. And I, oh, it was a slog. It was right. a slog. I did it for you listeners, only for you. Okay, so Gene, yeah, he's the meh emoji, and uh, he gets his big shot, he talks to his parents, he's like, I'm ready to be the meh emoji, I can do it, I can, I'll be ready and I'll be selected, and then I'll do a great job and who, I'll make sure I'm his meh.
0: they
1: are other meh emojis. Oh, right,
0: got it, got it, got it.
1: It doesn't make sense, they're <laughs> the only parents in the film. It's the emoji movie, Laurie, lower yeah, your expectations. Yeah, so I'm
0: sorry, I didn't realise that was pushing the boundaries. I know,
1: oh, everything's pushing the boundaries with this film. Anyway... Um, but the thing with Gene is, he's voiced uh, by T.J. Miller, who you might recognise. He's uh, he was in Silicon Valley. He's a voice. He was in just...
0: uh, Office Christmas Party recently. Indeed, as a boss. yeah, and yeah. he
1: was also one of the voices in House Change Drain. Very distinctive voice. Actually, quite like him as an actor. And I think he's he's funny when he's given good material. He the thing with him is is actually he seems to be able to express a lot of different emotions. He's not just restricted to one emotions. He keeps on finding himself not really able to do the meh. Uh, face properly and so he kind of bursts out into happiness and uh, kissing hearts emojis and things like that so when the moment comes where he's actually been selected to be sent to this kid's crush he bottles it and he panics and this causes a major incident in the text station and it all kind of goes wrong and then he has to report himself to the board meeting of the emojis headed up by the smiley emoji (laughs) to be declared that he's malfunctioning and has to be deleted by the bots
0: Oh, that's serious i mean phil despite everything you're saying i feel already a little bit invested in this because now i'm wondering did he accidentally send a heart or something to the kid's crush and cause a problem
1: uh i can't remember what happened in all honesty okay but yeah he does something it didn't go quite right anyway uh i was a little bit distracted watching this film because it was so (laughs) i just couldn't i couldn't face watching it properly but anyway, he goes on the run from these deleter bots or whatever it is, and he, as he's running away from them, he bumps into the high five uh, emoji, which is voiced by James Corden.
0: Oh, the ubiquitous James Corden!
1: If you he haven't is a seen enough of him yet, serious, then, wow. serious star though in America right now. He is absolutely killing it with his late night show. I, I Everyone like him. loves him. I like he's- the guy.
0: I don't particularly like his film roles.
1: Yeah, he's done He's done surprisingly well out of quite little ability in front of the camera, I'd say. I agree with you. He's very good in uh, Gavin and Stacey, but he wrote that, so it's very much in his own voice. In this film, as well, whereas we're about to hear, his voice is just so not right for what he's doing. Anyway, uh, here's a clip of um, the high-five emoji trying to get into the exclusive sort of favourite emoji party, uh, where all the, the ones which are used all the time, the popular ones, go. And he thinks, I'm really popular, but they're not letting him in so here's the clip you can listen to James Corden doing a bit of chat you are smooth just doing my duty <laughs> what what did I say
0: rocket looking to party
1: <laughs> Woo-hoo! come on tell me you aren't just a little bit tempted Steven,
0: for the last time I don't want to buy a timeshare come on man it's high five you know me i'm a favorite it's got to be some sort of mistake i mean look at me i'm an attractive hand giving a high five oh fist bump come on here hey lady. fist bump he's a knucklehead literally look at him i can look like that oh ow cramp huge mistake so
1: there you go you can tell i think that basically the film flops massively if you don't have any visuals Yes. Because I'm guessing that listeners out there, you didn't really get any of the jokes or any of the references or whatever. They're barely jokes. I think that's the main flaw in the film is that they're trying to flesh out this world to try and make a movie out of. And they do relatively well with a plot out of basically nothing. They do make a plot that you could get invested in. But then the all the gags are just sight gags. They're all just based on, oh, I recognize that. Oh, look, there's that emoji. Oh, yeah, I knew that one. Huh. But then none of the script relates to the fact that it doesn't make a difference who says any of the lines. <laughs> I wish
0: you could see Phil's face,
1: listeners. He looks so tired. You don't even look annoyed. You just look tired.
0: <laughs> because what, what
1: can you do with this? It's so just nothing there. And yet this is a movie which obviously people have worked hard on. People, talented people are in the the cast list. You've got Patrick Stewart as the poo. Yeah. Uh, poo emoji, yeah. Sure,
0: it's a highlight of his career.
1: Indeed. Like, there's talented people behind these voices, and there's lots of work in the animation, I'm sure. It might not be the highest budgeted film, but people spend time on these things. They don't want it to be bad. I think that's fair to say.
0: Well, I don't know. Yeah, I know what you're saying, Phil. I wouldn't say that people want it to be bad, but I also wouldn't say that people want it to be good. I think people want it to make money and fulfil a purpose. I'm not going to go super sort of oh isn't it corporate rubbish on you here but everything you're saying and everything everyone else is saying makes me think they just threw money at it and they were going for the so bad it's good thing there's guilty pleasure oh but people will go and see it anyway because it's 50 million was the uh, was the budget
1: yeah but that's not that big in hollywood these days is that's, it that's
0: mid-range that's it's mid-range the which upper is, level of mid-range which is
1: the dangerous zone that hollywood doesn't really like going into because you don't really get much of a return on your money but you're spending more money than the really small indie ones. And yeah, in some ways, I feel like if they'd done a really, really budget film and really gone for broke as an animation that's actually for adults, I think they would have done much better, kind of in the vein of Sausage Party. I didn't like Sausage Party at all, but at least it had something which... It definitely had an angle, didn't it? It had an angle, and I think the Emoji movie... I think, is entirely an adult-focused interest rather than kids. I don't think kids really care about emojis because hopefully they're not... Well, they would use emojis a lot, but they don't think they would want to see a film, a kid's film, about emojis. I'd be
0: amazed if it didn't score pretty well with kid audiences.
1: I I don't know. I just I think they know when a film is bad, and I think they could tell very quickly that this is a an empty film that doesn't really have anything it wants to say. Eventually, um, high five and uh, the meh emoji, Eugene, I think is the name, they run out of their little Textopolis city, and then they go to the wallpaper.
0: Okay, understood. And yes. then they
1: go into the other app cities that they might ac- encounter, much like Inside Out.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I'm, that was what, when you said he's struggling to maintain one emotion. That was one of my major problems with Inside Out, which is that Joy is awful sad for a character <laughs> not just called Joy, but she literally is the embodiment of Joy. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. <laughs> we never it, got Inside on board Out with that world. Yeah, it still troubles me when <laughs> I, I think about it. I still don't really it. get it Yeah. No, I, I haven't got... A lot of people will be annoyed with us for saying that now, Phil, because we said that so long ago, it's so probably people don't realise. Yeah. And yeah, the problem um, but, with Pixar. But I mean, one thing I will give this film credit for is it's done something that no one else has done yet. And I'm always surprised that no one has done it yet because phones have become such a massive part of everyday life. I don't think there have been any films to actually tackle that as if it's material for a story. See, there's sort of imagination in there. In the sort of cheapest sense because it.
1: hopefully you're picking up the idea that it's just borrowing other ideas and then kind of taking that template and smearing it on to something not very worthy of it uh so it does tackle the whole idea of a phone having different things to it and then you kind of get into the really nasty part of the film i think which is watching the corporate nature of it come in oh that does happen and they go to the spotify app and they go to facebook and they say oh look look it's all about the likes and everything like that and then the high five emoji says oh in this world you need to make sure you get all the likes it doesn't matter how if you have real friends you just need to have lots of Lots a of like
0: satire, right there. I'm sure they were partly funded by those companies. I, I don't
1: know. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? But they start going to these different apps, and it just becomes a bit confused and convoluted, and just a bit dull and lifeless. Because the, while they're trying to do that thing of twisting something which you know very well, they have no real idea of what to do with those ideas, and they go for the lowest common denominator pretty much every single time, which is a real shame. And Yeah. So I really didn't enjoy it. Surprise, surprise. I wouldn't say go see the Emoji movie. It's a bit just depressing. What's the grade? I think I give it a D. Okay. Which is, I don't like doing that for films because I, and I hope somebody does enjoy it and get some pleasure out of it. But I just think, what, 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 what have we come to? Should it have been on TV really? No, because it's, it, just, it, it shouldn't be made. There's no reason for this movie to be made. Nobody wanted an Emoji movie, but somehow it managed to get enough hype and enough it, sort of the interest. The
0: thing is, despite my sort of over-the-top cynical introduction, I do think what you've described there, there is potential for something, or there could have been potential for something. So is the real failing the writing?
1: Yeah, it, it completely. Because it's not that they don't have talented people doing the voices, except for James Corden. Don't think he's got a good voice for this sort of film. And the animation is perfectly acceptable. It's not the most inventive sort of thing, and it's a bit sort of just blank. But it's not... They they move well, <laughs> like it's <you're> competent.
0: <laughs> but the thing is, it just... That's yeah. really damning with faint praise. What you
1: want is the idea that they take something which is very well known, like aspects of uh, phone culture... And then make it into something interesting
0: with well, a, that's why a healthy I asked, spin. Like, did it cause an impact with the guy, the, the their super user's girlfriend, or crush? not really? No, because it does, that would actually it's, it's that a, would be like Inside Out. Then it's a
1: very gentle backdrop, but it doesn't really matter. Actually, your idea of causing a trouble with the um, the crush, yeah, that's what I mean, would be the right thing. But instead, he just thinks his phone's malfunctioning.
0: Oh, rubbish! you're so just going to delete the phone. That's a missed opportunity, right there. Mm. Well, there we go. I mean, it doesn't sound like there's much hope for it, listeners. I'm sure there will be some of you out there who've had to go and watch it, either by a misguided sense of optimism or by uh, young family members who are keen to see it. So, send your thoughts in superbellybros at gmail.com or at superbellybros on Twitter.
1: There you go, emoji movie.
0: No bonuses, I take it.
1: <sighs> bonuses that I don't have to watch it again.
0: Nice. Okay, Phil, a really short one here, and this is one for listeners and you to ponder over because it's a mystery to me. And listeners, I'm looking for your feedback and kind of your help, really. This is sort of a movie clinic like we used to do, but it's for a very, very specific part of a film. Now, Phil, we love A Knight's Tale starring Heath Ledger. Mm,
1: We do. It's a great film.
0: I think if you haven't seen it still, listeners, and I know there are some of you out there who haven't, you've got to see it. It's so much fun, and I think it's perfectly pitched can't believe it hasn't received the sort of a uh, torrent of universal acclaim that it deserves so go watch it if you haven't seen it but there is one particular line in that film that I have thought about on many occasions <laughs> and I cannot for the life of me understand it and I, like there's something about that that really bugs me because it's it's a pg it's a family film i feel like <laughs> it's i, on I your should level. be able to grasp what's going on so there's this scene I'll quickly paint the sketch and then play the lines for you listeners and then I'll explain my problem. so Heath Ledger stars as William he's a knight or pretending to be a knight he's fallen in love with Jocelyn who is a noble woman very very beautiful admired by all the other knights in the realm he has a fierce rivalry with Count Adamar played brilliantly by Rufus Sewell Mr. Evil who also has a bit of a thing for Jocelyn and you're going to hear them together sitting on horses looking at the royal box where she sits and discussing uh, their own own sort of rivalry and competitiveness, but also her as well. So here you go. You've done well in my absence, on the field and off, so I'm told. Winning trophies, horses, women. Do you put them in that order? Generally, with a few exceptions. Beautiful, isn't she? A real thoroughbred trophy, don't you think? You speak of them like she is a target. Isn't she? No. She is the arrow. Now, Phil, you, you already know what my problem is. I do know this. what you do. So, what? What does Heath Ledger mean? She is the arrow. What? So he said, you speak about her like she's a target. I understand that. I get the metaphor there. So what we're supposed to understand it's is just that the Rufus Seal's yeah, exactly. character doesn't care about her. He doesn't see her as a person. He sees her as a trophy, a prize to be won that he can dominate and, you know, win and have for himself. And all it'll do is add to his acclaim and status and everything else. Literally a
1: trophy wife.
0: Exactly. And so we all think, oh, boo, boo. He's Ledger's the man for this woman because he really respects her and everything else. Because he says... She is the arrow. Now, let's um, try let's understand it. Are you going to so use your literary the, degree? I'm going to try and think about it. So in the metaphor that's been painted, so there is a target, right? And because he says an arrow, that there must be an arrow lancing towards that target. But he says she is the target. But then he says that she's the arrow. So if she's the arrow, then what is the target? Is, there, is he saying that he's the target and that she is striking him? But if that's the case, then who's the archer? Like, who's the one <laughs> shooting the arrow? Or is he saying that in a way love is the.? Time? <laughs> Honestly, cannot figure it out. What does he mean? And I think you can't get away with it because if you watch the clip. But it's obviously, not you just, can't get away with it. He doesn't just say it, he does like a double pause. He looks once at Count Adamar and then he looks again, even deeper, with more intense eyes before saying it, like. I just come up with a brilliant thing and this is going to floor you and you're going to not going to be able to say anything because I've just absolutely zinged you with an amazing, like, response. And Count Adamar is like, oh, man, he's, he's, really, me. he's really got me there. I mean, he doesn't give him much chance because he trots away on his horse, but... Listen, so if you can figure out what on earth that metaphor actually means, I would love to know. Or is it just a generic kind of a, well, you've not understood, actually, she's brilliant. Is that all it is? I don't know.
1: I think it's one of those things where you think about it and it's like, oh, I get what generally they're going for, the idea that he's flipped it around and actually she's really important or something. Yeah, But then when you think about it, actually how it what applies. What does
0: that mean? What does he think? <laughs> I, like, honestly, my brain, like I've thought about this over years and my brain is just full of these weird things about Jocelyn shooting towards a target like an arrow. And, <laughs> Do like, you I just, just have the
1: vision of her face just in, like, like just, a pencil? Yeah, exactly. Just, <laughs> what does he
0: mean? I just don't get it. So, I don't think I can be alone on this, particularly with that line. So tell me, please help me out. Help me cure, cure me of this illness of misunderstanding. But also there must be moments like that in films that you've come across where you know how to respond. You know, the film has done its job storytelling wise. So you know how to react to that moment. The
1: flow of the film pulls you along,
0: but you actually don't really get it. You don't understand what on earth they're talking about. Like that scene in The Matrix, right? irrevocably you remain human what they made fun of that will ferrell did a brilliant parody anyway Mm. do you have any off the top of your head phil or are you just canvassing for uh, listeners thoughts
1: i will think about it um but also this is a good opportunity to remind everyone about the movie clinic which is still open (laughs) the doctors are still in
0: we well we forgot about it we haven't talked about it that's true we always we
1: raise up all these different features and then we forget about them it's all based on our ideas at the time but if you have any movie clinics that you just, things like Laurie just said where you're just like what on earth is going on I don't understand this bit in a movie or what it was trying to say or anything like that email in and especially let us know. things that
0: you're ashamed to admit because I feel slightly ashamed <laughs> I feel you like don't it should it. be obvious yeah
1: anyway bros at gmail.com or you can tweet us at bros, let us know if you can make any sense of that for Laurie here help
0: me out please help my brain can we play it one more time just to
1: finish up. just off? that last bit mm. yeah
0: no she's yes okay here we go and then we'll move on you speak of them like she is a target isn't she no, she is the arrow. What have we been watching this week? Woo! We haven't done that for a while, have we? No, we haven't. I haven't actually missed doing that. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to admit that. I know. It's a lots great of people, jingle. Great people jingle. have told us, listeners, if that was an, an assault to your ears, they enjoy that jingle. We so. need to stop apologising for what we do. I'm man. not apologise. Well, I am. You All right, are. okay, Phil. We need to make it an excuse this week, don't we? We haven't been watching things no phil and the normal I n- variety no. neither of us have been watching films have we <laughs> we've been yeah i don't know how it's happened but well just... i know exactly how it's happened phil <laughs> it's because well judith's uh, brother very kindly allowed us to share his now tv entertainment subscription recently it's not an advert for them no comment not a plug. <laughs> the point is we've suddenly been given access to the world of game of thrones and uh so this is what we've been watching this week yes yes game of thrones game of thrones game of thrones you need to do them long notes That's enough. No more.
1: What's funny is when I watched it with my housemates, that's literally what we bum every week. We just sing the Game of Thrones song.
0: It's quite a nice tune. I was actually on an insurance company's bum 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 I know, listeners, this is TV and we never do TV. Because, because felt, you
1: say no TV, do you know, We're a you? film
0: podcast and I still maintain that. But we figured we could sort of excuse it by highlighting the fact that this kind of top draw budget TV that is capturing like the world in a way that films aren't really in the same way anymore. This is a good time to talk about that phenomenon with the sort of peak of the phenomenon, right?
1: Mm, it's in its final series now, isn't it? Season final seven? Final two, I think. Seven and eight. I think they're doing a two-parter series or something like oh, that. Okay,
0: there we go. Yeah, and you have read the books, haven't you? Yeah, so I read the books quite a long time ago when the series was just getting off the ground. Enjoyed the books, they sort of got me back into reading in a way, and I had mixed feelings about them. And I do want to just say, I know listeners, not all of you have watched it, and in in some ways, the people who haven't watched it are probably really annoyed about how often they see stories about Game of Thrones, and now we're doing it as well. So I feel like we need to be really upfront about that.
1: Mm, Yeah, apologies.
0: But I hope you can appreciate the cultural context of this. I always enjoyed the books, I found them tough going in places, uh, and I don't think they didn't really make me want to watch the series because I sort of knew that the things that you can read in a book, you don't necessarily want to see visualized on screen in a sort of vaguely realistic way. But I kind of have enjoyed motoring through the uh, the series. Because
1: you've literally plowed through the whole well, it's thing. Because
0: they're only up there for about eight days. So June and I <laughs> did a big marathon. And that's why we haven't been able to watch any films because we had to fit it in like more or less every evening. It felt like a marathon, <laughs> to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of am in- enjoying it. And I didn't expect to. Are you a fan, Phil?
1: I do like it. I don't like some parts of it, and I think some parts of it are just pandering to audiences' sort of expectations. I think what's interesting about the show is, as it's gone on, the things which it became sort of notorious for... Well, that's
0: violence and nudity, right? Yeah,
1: basically, have slowly, I think, decreased. And actually, I wonder if, basically, the producers of the show were really worried... That nobody would be interested in a story about dragons and uh, well kind of a good and fantasy reason, and things like that
0: they tend to attract a niche audience not a massively i can't, i actually can 't believe how popular it is even with those things
1: but I think basically it 's enticed its audience in, and then word of mouth is spread about this political intrigue of Westeros and all yeah. that sort of stuff and i 'm quite amazed actually, having watched the show, how cinematic it is and how many times it 's gone for sort of that blockbuster sort of feel to particular scenes and moments in the series? Well,
0: in particular, I think the most cinematic moments I can remember, and you can tell me otherwise, Phil, is the initial fight on the waters in front of the castle where there's that big fire explosion. Mm. I was really quite surprised at the extent of the visual effects, but also the shooting and the storyboarding of the combat was surprisingly cinematic, and the number of extras involved and the work they'd done on the sets as well with the castle walls... It felt like a film to me.
1: And it certainly had the budget of it. I think the reason why they're doing a reduced number of episodes in the final series is so that they have the budget available to do the sort of big blockbuster finale that this show requires. I mean, it, the, the the equivalent in my head is Band of Brothers, if anyone's seen that.
0: Fantastic. Same uh, studio, right? I guess Yeah, you call HBO it studio as well. Yeah.
1: And that that had, I think, the biggest budget at the time. It was only 10 episodes long, but each episode felt like a movie. That's
0: phenomenal, that series. And, and it had that sort of calibre, didn't watching. it? watching, yeah. Oh, no, totally. And that's where, what's-his-face, Damien Lewis got his start. as Colonel Winters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's
1: great in that series.
0: I certainly don't think Game of Thrones is perfect, though, Phil. I, what I particularly have noticed recently is it's very slow in places. And this is why I'm amazed at how long it's endured in the popular consciousness, because parts of the book which are slow, you know what it's like, reading is just different. So you can listen to someone's internal monologue and you can follow them along as they, you know, muse on life, death, existence, morality, all that kind of stuff. And George R. R. Martin has said he was massively inspired by The Wars of the Roses, which are all about these kind of conflicting houses and loyalties. And a lot of that is just done under the surface. And in the series, you just get long scenes of quite quiet like maybe just two people talking all kind of nothing happening. Loads of shots of them just walking down hallways. That's
1: what I think is so funny about the show. And I realised this recently as well is the show is essentially two people talking and then another two people talking yeah. about something else that they've heard. And then it's periodically sort of, sprinkled with chocolate chips of action that sort of become notorious and very infamous but the the show is essentially just characters interacting with other characters
0: yeah well and this is what we discussed isn't it because it's interesting that that is what it's known for the labyrinthine politics and whilst I think there's a lot of truth to that and people do act in quite believable ways mixed loyalties Lots of moral greyness rather than black and white. Actually, I don't necessarily think that it's that politically complex. I think it's really fascinating because the characters are sketched really well by George Martin... But there's actually something a little bit more like The Simpsons about it (laughs) than you might be prepared to admit. What do you mean by that? Well, a huge amount of the drama and the events of the film are just to do with the author apparently saying, well, what would happen if I bring these two characters together? I wonder what would happen then. And you you kind of know that's true because the books were originally planned to just be a trilogy. And now there's five and he's not finished. And the fifth one had to be split into two because it was so huge. And he, like he said before, he doesn't quite know necessarily where it's going. And he has to write the books to reveal to himself how the story's going to go because the characters kind of talk, dictate back, it as it were. So I, I think actually. I've noticed as it's gone on I've watched more of it it's way more soapy and way more sort of let let's serialized. see what happens with
1: these two come together yeah exactly we'll put Jamie with Brian and see what happens
0: and you sort of need to not notice that otherwise it <laughs> slightly spoils the tightly plottedness of it for you the other thing which
1: I think is interesting and this is quite interesting from a sort of writing side of things and looking at narratives and story arcs, et cetera, of films. And if you start watching lots of films and things like that, I'm sure our listeners have picked up on certain themes and tropes, et cetera, et cetera. What's really funny about Game of Thrones is the idea that it wasn't uh, like other stories, in the sense that it will kill off major characters. Yeah, you don't and know what's main, coming. Main thing. But what's funny about it as as the show has gone on, it's become more and more a traditional story. And I feel like it's funny thing about humans is that we like we clamour for like heroes that are tr- truly hero heroic and pure. And actually, the the kind of grey characters we don't really want. And there's certain characters that just are immune to being killed off. And you kind of see their destiny in the horizon of them doing things.
0: But you know, like the hardcore fans will say, well, that's what you think, Phil, but you don't know when that character is going to die. So That is example. true, That
1: is true. but I think actually more and more you see the bigger bigger structure in place, the bigger arc of the these characters. He's just telling a story, isn't And actually isn't it's a very classic story of good and evil right from the beginning, but it's mired in lots of messiness.
0: Well, and I suppose we'll see when the series concludes how true that is. But that goes into the major thing that has allowed me to enjoy it. And it's something that I think I've noticed about... About a lot of successful stories versus stories that leave a bit of a bad taste in the mouth so do you remember Peaky Blinders off Netflix
1: the irish sort of mafia thing
0: uh birmingham yeah yeah yeah, which people really love don't they i went off peaky blinders after a few seasons i don't know about you and i know quite a lot of my friends went off it after a while and one thing that's just noticeable about that series when it's also high production values that's led that's bled into hollywood peaky blinders there's a lot of people who said i saw what they did on peaky blinders i had to have them in my film that kind of thing it's
1: a crossover hit as well yeah uh, america
0: yeah exactly because it's kind of gang stuff the problem with that show is that there are no real redeeming characters in it uh, even the good guys, are gang, people who are incredibly violent. Even the police chief, who appears to be out for truth and justice, isn't really everyone. It's not that everyone's grey; it's that everyone is kind of wrong on everyone's some level. Black
1: in, in, in well, better their...
0: sort of dark grey, <laughs> whatever you want to say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, whereas one thing about Game of Thrones, that I think, is really fascinating, and that sort of means that you can cope with the extremes of the violence or the nudity or whatever it is that you don't like the language. There's a lot of that. there's a lot there that should turn a huge part of the audience off, but it doesn't. I think it's all to do with George Martin's understanding of a a moral anchor. So there are two characters uh, in Game of Thrones, Ned Stark and Davos Seaworth. Both of those guys, particularly in the books, are unrelentingly noble in their motivations. They they make mistakes and they have problems, but both of them desire to see people succeed, to look after their family, and they're not out for their own honour. They're entirely out to serve. Uh, The people Mm. that they're involved in. And it's almost essential that those two guys are in the series because that enables you to set, um, it's like setting your map. To something. So, if you've got this sea, you don't know where you are in the sea because it's all confusing and grey. You always set your point by what the North Star, for example, or by. <laughs> so you say there's a
1: character which is a North Star.
0: Yes, that is exactly what I'm saying, and I, I don't think people would uh, would like to admit that because we much prefer grey morality because it's kind of more interesting and more true to life because people aren't black and white. But it, I think it's fascinating that that is, I think that's actually really core to the success of Game of Thrones. In that, no matter how grey and terrible and awful things might be there is always someone who represents virtue and ability in this you story. can root for who you believe you d- in. it's subconscious it's not mm. a conscious thing like i said it just sets your bearings in a way an unknowing way so that you can cope with all the tough stuff going on and that, that's incidentally why i would recommend it to people even if you think oh, i hate lots of violence i hate lots of bad language i hate lots of nudity whatever is it is that you hate yeah, you'll be able to cope with it because of those things.
1: Well, some people might not be able to. We're not no, endorsing this massively. Yeah, no, no, But no. it's just an interesting show. And it's interesting how sort of taking the thunder away from cinema. It seems to be that there's been a shift over about five or six years, maybe even longer, where TV seems to be the place of really good stories. And it's interesting that with shows like Breaking Bad and other kind of acclaimed shows... At the right at the core of it all is good characters. And that seems to be what I think Hollywood really struggles to find do you these think so? days. They don't know how to write good characters that you can believe in, that you can root for, that you can relate to. Because essentially Game of Thrones, I think, is people talking. That's all it is. It's just like most stories, it's people talking. And you've got your favourites
0: and you want to see what happens to them. That exactly. Kind of thing. And that's yeah. all down to character. If you don't have good characters, you can't do any of that. So, learn from Hollywood, please. No, I agree, Phil. And, you know, the final thing I'll add is that and I kind of learned a bit more about this while I was on the radio talking about the entertainment industry or whatever. Uh, there was a really interesting report written by Price Walthouse Coopers, who are that massive accounting firm, also behind the mix up at the Oscars. <laughs> <Awkward. laughs> la la land. Uh oh. But they've written a sort of forecast for cinema and entertainment over the next five years, I think it is, uh, up to yeah, 21, 2021. And one of the things they said that uh, entertainment companies really needed to do was they needed to see the opportunity to engage with fans. And this massive firm is recommending to producers of content They need to become even more fan focused and they need to drive the fan experience. It's quite, you know, it's not very nice to hear people talking about this industry in those kind of terms, but it is interesting. They said that, you know, fans might only make up 10 to 20 percent of your audience for something, but they are likely to account for up to 80 percent of your revenue stream. And Whoa. isn't that fascinating? That's really interesting. And for that that worldwide accounting firm to say that, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a really big deal. Mm. And I think it explains a little bit why films are kind of going the way they are and they're sort of becoming fragmented. They're less and less produced for mass appeal. Even Disney are more and more produced to absolutely maximize the target audience. Yeah. And so that's why I think Game of Thrones is interesting, because it's pan-continental. And people like it, you wouldn't expect would like it. It's somehow produced mass appeal. And like you're saying, I think that is more common with TV these days than it is with films. That's become quite a sort of in-depth chat. Well, you know, we have to say something, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, I think then maybe we should end it there. But basically, do you like Game of Thrones? I find there's
1: some things which I can't help but deny are interesting and good about it or are well made about it. Um, I wouldn't endorse everything about it at all. Oh, no, of but, course not. Um, yeah, no, I'm intrigued to see where the story ends.
0: Yeah, June and I like it. We're having fun. We want to know what happens. There we go. <laughs> she does have to fight or sleep sometimes, but you know, that would happen with anything. <laughs> that's just how it goes. Sorry, Judith. <laughs> anyway, that's what we've been
1: watching this week. It's a bit of a random one. Well, and... it's a
0: one-off. We don't do TV. We'll be back on films next time, partly because we caught up with Game of Thrones now. It's <laughs> just the way it's worked. Phil, give us a song. e It's very soulful. Wow. Feeling surprisingly moved by that.
1: I just held the E because I didn't know where I was going. So,
0: so I was using the E as Phil. the time to work I mean, out. That is the, the rest hallmark of, of a great musical improviser. Just roll with it. Just run with it. Take it and go. Listeners, thank you very much for getting in touch. Or Maybe what I should say is I'm sorry that so many of you have been in touch about Dunkirk and that Phil is not going to see that film. Until the 19th of August. 18th of August. 18th of August, which is still two weeks away. I know, and I really
1: apologise, but I think it's fair to say that... It's not gonna. Our reviews aren't gonna make a difference whether or not somebody goes to see it or not. They're gonna see it regardless, and instead, it means that all of our audience gets the chance to see it and then hear our genuine, authentic response <laughs> to the film as it's meant to be seen, which is in IMAX. So defend himself. I am too. trying to yeah. defend myself because I do feel guilty, but I think genuinely this could be the way to do it because rather than seeing it in sort of a standard cinema, I get to see the actual footage as it was shot because it was shot on an IMAX camera 35mm so you, mm-hmm. exactly you've got the full image and it seems to me that the whole film is designed about experience and uh, the sound the music the imaging is is all designed for an experience not so much a film.
0: We haven't. You haven't even seen the film. You're already you're reviewing it. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. But I'm saying that means that if I, if that is the case, if that's what the film is going for, it makes
0: sense to see yeah, it yeah, authentically yeah,
1: yeah. as it is. That's oh, all I, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah I know no, you're yeah. tired. The and major sick of thing it. you
0: need to say is, "I'm sorry, we're not talking about Dunkirk." Here.
1: I am sorry that we're not talking about Dunkirk. Yeah, and I'm But also, well. it's for your benefit, listeners, because that means that Laurie. Yeah, 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 yeah. is yeah, well, gonna...
0: that's the thing. I'm not watching it either because I know if I see it before Phil, you're I will bleeding. not I cannot not keep quiet about these things. I've already listened to some of the sound track on youtube and give him fill my thoughts on that (laughs) i know we're not even going to talk about that so let's talk about the emails we do actually have and there's only a couple that do not reference doug kirk
1: oh gosh Uh, i'm
0: sorry well so you should be okay first off uh confucius actually sent another email in and he said A lot about Dunkirk, but fortunately for us, Phil, he also mentioned War for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, cool. And he says he feels that War for the Planet of the Apes is a better war movie than Dunkirk. So I guess we'll have to comment on that when we've seen it. Uh, And he goes on to say, aside from recent blockbusters, I also managed to watch... Triple X, return of Xander Cage. E. <laughs> I think we should come up with a new category for the next uh, Baileyborough Awards or Brough Awards. That's what it was, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, the eye rolling award. I could not believe how many times the boss lady Tony, he says, played by Jane Mark. I thought it was played by Charlize Theron. Now I can't remember properly. You're confusing it with Fast and Furious. Oh, eight. You're right. I am. You're right. Uh, rolled her eyes in the film at least ten times, and then I lost <laughs> count. Uh, probably because she resented and regretted accepting such a role. Uh, by the time she rolled her eyes the third time, you've guessed she most likely is the villain behind the whole thing.
1: Oh, gosh.
0: Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't remember very well um, that particular thing. I honestly thought, Confucius, you were going to say how many times your eyes were rolling. But yeah, interesting thought.
1: It is funny. Once you notice something particular about somebody's performance... Uh... It can really derail it massively. People
0: say that about Brad Pitt and eating in his films, they? I like
1: that. I like the fact that it's kind of a common thread. He always eats, especially in the Oceans films, he's always eating something, I think, in every scene.
0: Yeah, that's right, yeah.
1: I was thinking more, you know, uh, United Kingdom when... uh, Rosamund
0: Pike, not blinking. Doesn't blink, (laughs) and that distracted me. I looked that up and you're so right, it's hard to watch. She's
1: just I feel like my eyes dry out it's watching it. The editor
0: it. they just haven't paid attention to also, the Also
1: in Ghost in the Shell Scarlett Johansson's walk was yes. oh super distracting. She was manning around all
0: the place and I, I just still thought, don't know she what doing? you're talking about there. I want I'm quite keen to watch that again. I enjoyed it. I, I'm still sad that it's had the reception it's had. Yeah. Bill's not. Okay, he goes on. Looking forward to more awesomeness from you guys. Adam Buxton or not, you guys are the best. And that reminds me, we forgot to say it again. This is why we know, <laughs> we, know we, we get these things off we the We raise ground. up these ideas and then we forget well, them. Well, and you tell me how terrible they are as well. But no. Uh, no I well, and you don't support them as well, but yeah, listeners, let me remind you, it's a good chance to say it again. Listen to the episode two weeks ago called A Very Special Guest and do exactly what the episode says. Please uh, listen to the embarrassing song and tweet to Adam Buxton and say how much you love him to come on our show. Why not? That would be brilliant. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Okay, and Esther got in touch also with thoughts on Dunkirk, but fortunately also for the film Patterson. Do you remember that? Uh, yes, Adam Driver. Yeah, that's right. And it's a film that when we reviewed it, which is quite a few episodes back now, you were very sceptical about, Phil. Yeah, it just
1: sounded like poetry and...
0: Well, listen to what Esther says. My husband and I 100% watched this off the back of Laurie's recommendation, spurred on by our outrage at Phil's comments about poetry and arty films. Minus one, Phil, you are so wrong. What is that that's so harsh? Why? What's, what's... <laughs> I think they've said everything they need to say. We really love this film. The thing that makes it is the characters and their relationship. Laura, who's his girlfriend, is totally delightful. And Patterson, as her steady plodding foil, was such an interesting character. The performances were top-notch. Esther, I completely agree. I thought that chemistry was quite unique because everything in the film suggests that you're supposed to find her annoying... Uh, And that you think eventually Patterson will get frustrated, but actually it's a wonderful picture of relationships that are sort of complementary in tone. So she's completely different from him, but the ways they are support each other brilliantly, Uh, topped off by the line that uh, Adam Driver says as Patterson, which is that she understands him really well. I completely agree. Brilliant.
1: Can I just correct myself on this old poetry thing? I do. It's not that I hate artsy-fartsy films or anything like that, or poetic films or anything at all like that. Any, I like those sort of cerebral films when they're done well. My problem is is the Emperor's New Clothes factor, where you have a film which is kind of saying nothing, but everyone is too afraid because they don't get it or they don't want to look stupid that they don't call a spade a spade and they say, oh, it's super meaningful or it means it's saying so much when actually it's nothing.
0: There are definitely films like that. I don't think this is one of them because I don't believe it's attempting to say S- very much.
1: So I, I, I'm intrigued now then that you've been backed up. So well done, Esther. You've now made me want to see it. But I do think it does present itself as one of those sort of films where nothing going on.
0: Well, how interesting you should say that, because her very next paragraph begins, the criticism levied at this that nothing really happens is unfair, in my opinion. Perhaps if you're a big fan of superhero movies, where in every film the whole world is in peril, you may find this week of a person's normal life not worth sitting through. However, for someone who leads a normal life, in quotes, I think his week was actually pretty epic. Spoiler, amongst other things, I'll, I'll include the spoiler, Esther, he takes down someone wielding a gun in the pub. Oh, very true. I think Esther has got the measure of this completely right. I, you know, I'm a bit nervous about your comparison to superhero movies there, Esther, because I sense Phil sniffing <laughs> at that comparison. What do you mean? Well, you sort of went, oh, <laughs> as in like, that's a classic. I think, I, I don't know. I
1: just, I just, mm, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit upset, in all honesty, that I've been given a minus one because I don't think that's fair. He
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> still does hurt. look sad. She, okay, I'll finish off the email. She says, my only issue with it is that I felt the music was wrong. It was frequently too ominous. And made you feel something bad was just about to happen when it really wasn't. So you couldn't totally relax into the film. And you, well, I know what you're saying, Esther. I almost wondered whether that was Jim Jarmusch, who's the director, trying to mislead you and trying to entice you into expecting melodrama. And then Play revealing. playing with conventions. And drama, yeah, so. exactly. But revealing that actually our everyday lives maybe feel that way. And so the music maybe does match the emotions that someone might feel, even if what's actually in life is not that interesting. Does that make sense? What I just said? Yes. So uh, yeah, I I disagree slightly, but I know what you. I agree. I know, but I know what you're getting at. <laughs> uh, so to reiterate, stop laughing, Phil, at me. <laughs> from from Phil's comments, he made it seem like he doesn't see worth in watching Everyday Life, but that's what we live, man, and it is worth exploring. Uh, I no, I need to there. listen
1: back on the uh, the past review then, because I my, I feel like I've slightly misrepresented myself. I love I love small films. I like films which are about regular life. I was just worried that this is an artsy-fartsy one, which is <laughs> saying nothing.
0: Well, the only thing left to do is to watch it and give a proper opinion, eh?
1: I will do that. I'll make that my goal for next week's what we have been watching.
0: Great. She closes off with, thanks very much. Don't take any more three-week breaks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Change to <of> the grindstone. <laughs> Uh, okay and last email we got an email from the natural who's been c valerian dear super baby bros nice to have you back by which i mean nice to have you both back with that certain je ne sais quoi uh no i really don't know what as in that's what that yeah
1: is that what the french is yes i don't know what
0: yes uh first i thought valerian was going to have a very standard this is space and it's big kind of intro however i really love the gradual build-up of the space station showing development over the past number of years. Even though it was slightly cheesy, showing different nations greeting each other, it was very efficient at creating a broader context for the story which would unfold. And I completely agree. I I hope I said that in my review. That opening scene where you see it gradually uh, building and new species coming is great. And it's set to, uh, I think, Space Oddity by David Bowie. That's almost the best sequence in the whole film. Uh, he goes on to say, because of Laurie's review, I was looking out for the inconsistency of the computer describing what Valerian and Laureline were supposed to already know. But then I realised that even in the clip you played, he says, Alex, update us. And this is because they'd not been to the giant space station for some time. And so it was quite legitimate, you know, that they want to know what had changed. Mm, interesting. I mean, can I come in on that one? I know exactly what you're saying, The Natural, and I've got no doubt whatsoever that that is exactly what Luc Besson hoped. Uh, people would think in the film that they're just interested in how things have changed since they've been there, but she does say it's their home. And some of the questions that get asked: Why would they want to know what the demographics are? And they don't need to be told the different regions of the space station, unless the point, they're new.
1: But don't they say in the clip? Oh, it's grown by seven percent, and this is a constantly changing yeah, but it tell place, them. and the new species joining all the time. It
0: says that, but it doesn't tell them what's in that seven percent growth. It tells them this is where the financial sector is, and this is the underwater zone where there are creatures such as this. I. Okay, we can split hairs on this all day. Mm. I'm glad it worked for you, the natural. I'm afraid it didn't really work for me. Uh, he goes on. Also, the cuts of different creatures doing their different things added to my preparation for all the strange dimensional action scenes which were soon to follow. Actually, I thought it was quite clever storytelling. Well, there we go. I'm, I must be completely wrong. Hmm. in that person's mind. Is that minus one for you there, Laurie? (laughs) No, he hasn't quite concluded yet. I enjoyed the story and I agree with you that it's more or less, actually quite a lot less, but not in a bad way, the fifth element retold. Yes, Laurie, you're right about the amazing visual effects and I totally believe them. Cara Delevingne was predictably spiky, but it suited the we're both professionals so don't patronise me tensions and I could easily have done without the Rihanna self-promotion music video in the middle, but it did give a bit of space to digest the story so far and it was very slick SFX. What do you think, Laurie? Yeah, I'm, I agree with almost everything you've said there. I, I think, I hope that that is more or less what I said. I, the Rihanna sequence is really impressive, and I can't quite figure out how they did it, because she's doing a dance routine. They're and costume changing and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but as she's doing dance moves, and so... It's quite hard to see how they would have done that unless there was a lot of CGI in the costume or unless she managed to perfectly flawlessly do that dance routine several (laughs) times. So, yeah, it is. It's really impressive. But that whole sequence was totally unnecessary. And it's not just that. It's everything around it. It makes no sense uh he goes on could also have done without or recast clive owen i'm sure he's a nice guy but apart from the born (laughs) identity i just don't find him convincing we've covered this haven't we yeah
1: it's something about clive he's just a boring man isn't he
0: i didn't mind him so much in this because he's he's barely in it actually and his character was supposed to be very straight laced but i know i know what you're saying once you have a feeling about clive owen then it's hard to ignore him when he turns up uh was children of men he's just so boring (laughs) he seems so boring doesn't he (laughs) Uh, altogether enjoyed it and even though I could see your point of view I thought you were a little bit harsh ouch uh, Luke Besson sure has some crazy dreams he says to finish off uh, oh well, thanks
1: very much The Natural
0: yeah really appreciate your um, depth of thought there The Natural that was really good to read and to be honest I'm just really glad you enjoyed it and I really hope a lot of people enjoyed it because You know, as I tried to explain with all the sort of financial context, no, I really wanted to succeed because I think it's really important for the film industry to know that high budget independent productions can work without the sort of safety nets and structure that the big studios provide. And I was really worried. I think that's why I had such high hopes for it and perhaps was a little bit harsh because... it it, all it does is prove the point and it makes it seem like yeah no we really should just stick to marvel formulas yeah yeah and that's not something i want so yeah but uh really glad you liked it listeners please do go and watch that and let me know your thoughts
1: there you go valerian thanks very much the natural
0: yep okay listeners that's all our emails for this week as i said we've got an increasing library of thoughts on dunkirk uh which we can't get to for a couple of weeks so please do get your thoughts in on everything else superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on twitter thanks
1: very much guys do we need to do this intro like we're in Radio 1 again?
0: No, I think we oh, can the leave... the outro, I mean. No, no, I think we can leave Radio 1 behind us, Phil, and just do a normal Super Bailey Bros. outro. <sighs> what, well, we're really tired <laughs> and we're
1: like, oh...
0: I'm not tired, are you?
1: I'm really tired, yeah. And I feel
0: alive with energy, Phil. The passion of films has reinvigorated <laughs> me. Although my throat is going a little bit, <laughs> <is> a <shame. laughs> okay. Hear mm. all the, the knobbly knees the and, the <laughs> and the croaky <Yeah>. voice. <laughs> Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in. Please let us know your thoughts on Atomic Blonde if you go and see it, or the Emoji movie unlucky you if you have seen it uh, and stay tuned for next week's episode where oh what are the big films that are coming out I think the Hitman's Bodyguard will be out Ryan
1: Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson possibly right. yeah.
0: and then there's The Dark Tower with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Idris Elba Ooh, Idris I'd... Elba yeah. yeah. I
1: don't know what I'm going to think of that film no I've it's quite not been getting good it, reviews so far I but have to say. it's a meant to be a really really popular Stephen King series I think it is a okay. series of books and things like that so it'd be interesting to know if they managed to make anything of it uh, listeners, do get in touch if you go and see any of those films or happen to be able to see them before we record. Sometimes it's nice to have a little sprinkle of uh, listeners' emails during the review. Right up
0: to the minute, yeah, mm. absolutely.
1: Also, do get in touch if you've got any uh, contributions to the little features that we do. As we were talking and recording this week's episode, I thought, man, we would come up with all these different ideas of little bits and bobs to do, and then we do them for a couple of weeks, and then we kind of forget about we them. We sort of
0: never return to them. Exactly. we do it once a week.
1: We've got, like, <laughs> a good list of things that we've done in the past. So if you remember any of them, if you remember uh, the rewrites or movie Court, if you're going right back to the beginning do let us know if you have any ideas or contributions or thoughts those. on those
0: questions we ask you guys and but the thing is I can't remember them myself Phil so how do we expect the listeners to I don't
1: know maybe we'll just do like a roundup next week of all the things that we've mentioned in the past I'll
0: tell you what neat we need Phil we need to be uh, hired to do a radio show so that people can text in at that exact moment <laughs> exactly that'd be amazing how about that that's just a little thought and put out there record it live Ooh. Mm, can, can you imagine that. doing a show live we've done time? it before man once <laughs> <laughs> hey look come on we can do this anyway uh, listeners tune Next week, thanks very much for listening. We really, really appreciate it.
1: We need to get like a cool, like Walter Cronkite sign out or something like that, and that's mm. the way the cookie crumbles.
0: Uh, I'll have a thought, a thinky, thinky, thonk, and <laughs> come up with something for next week. I'll How's have that? A, <laughs> just that. That's a great thinky little thonk. sign off. Have a little thinky,
1: thinky, thonk. Okay,
0: all right, listeners. Bye. Have a great week. Bye bye. Okay, Phil, bonus time. Bonus time. I recently sort of did a cleaning up job of my digital notebook, and I've got way more. I've got so much more stuff on there than I've ever. Hidden away, from some some of it treasure troves. <laughs> I know, nuts. but it, it makes me think I'm never going to get through them. Well, I don't. I don't know what. This is the only outlet I have. <laughs> Well, These I,
1: little minutes at the end of the show.
0: I know, right? I hope it doesn't tire people out. One thing that isn't really a bonus, but just something I was thinking about today is, you know, Glenn Campbell died recently. Yeah, I am the lineman exactly. for the county.
1: And it made me remember
0: that as a bonus once, I sung that. Do you remember and
1: that? And I drive the <laughs> main road. <laughs> that, listeners,
0: is a beautiful song. And if you've not heard it... It's so you lovely. you just got to listen to it. And Glenn Campbell was just peerless in his version of it good guitar player as well so that's just by the by it's so
1: warm that when that music comes in it's
0: genius and so many people have covered that song as well you wouldn't expect it to because it maybe feels a bit more like a sort of Radio 2 classic that a lot of people wouldn't be interested in with the warm brass and the strings I think Steve Wright in fact uses it as a yeah he did he did as as, a sign up it's beautiful but like REM did a cover version did they really? yeah exactly and loads of people have done it so if you've never heard that song check it out it's brilliant and you know mourn with the rest of us about Glenn Campbell very sad he was a real talent Mm. but that's you know serious little notes <laughs> um, let's do a bonus. Yeah, all right, Phil, this is about smoothies. Do you drink smoothies? Do you remember the smoothie craze when Innocent launched onto the scene? Yeah, they're loaded with sugar. They're like crazy. It's just like
1: condensing a whole loaf of bread into one slice and then eating that. It's very weird. I'm not a fan. I don't like the fact that Banana is the base for pretty much all of them.
0: Goodness, I'm astonished that was a real like you had a serious opinion on oh, am right Sorry, <laughs>
1: sorry. Well you asked me what I thought, no, no, so that's brilliant. I
0: mean, you exactly agree with my wife on this. I used to drink them every day as if they were a health drink.
1: Thinking, oh no. Lice. I am
0: living the dream. I don't even have to eat the fruit, I'm just knocking it back, and I'm gonna be super healthy. And then I get a terrible dip every afternoon after coming back to my desk. <laughs> and that's why, Phil, you're it's right. A sugar crash. Yeah, yeah. So they're not quite what they purport to be, especially since they got owned by Coca-Cola. Really? No, not really. I mean, they do they are owned by coca cola but i'm sure they didn't do anything terrible to the, <laughs> <laughs> the <water laughs> let's spice. leave that behind my point is that they're really clever when they name these things like if you go to banana boost well the- exactly but even more than that like they started Ginger to be shot. super clever and then in boots or wherever it is or sometimes get a meal deal you know the sort of just the juice drinks that you can get now because people are cottoning on to the fact that smoothies are too sugary so they do these drinks instead that have they're like blended fruit and vegetable extracts of cucumber but the names Puc- are like I can't not believe them and I feel stupid because I tend to choose a smoothie based more on the name than on the fruits that I know that I'm going to enjoy so if I see something that says something like restore and replenish I literally buy it as if it's a potion from a video game <laughs> expecting that as like, I drink it get a whole <laughs> <laughs> Back to full energy. Do you do that? Do you know what I mean? I know
1: exactly what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: They're so clever. I, I, I wish I had that sort of nouse. Uh, like when, when I've been doing marketing and things, to just exact nail a marketing concept just like that. But have you ever
1: thought that like real life video game stuff is probably like drugs. That's that's basically what it is. <laughs> Performance <laughs> like enhancing. pills. Yeah, like you take steroids. Boost and like, and... <laughs> plus, by <five> strength.
0: <laughs> like you know what I mean. I hadn't considered that. Pill. That's
1: real life video game stuff. That's it's rather sad. <laughs> it's
0: quite a depressing
1: angle. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. I've got a positive angle. You know how you have this idea that, like, oh, what if it actually did what it said on the tin? Yeah. The other day, I was moving house and I had to clean my oven. The dreaded oven. Oh, that's clean. a
0: nightmare.
1: Never fear Oven Pride is here
0: Phil you can't be Doing brands I'm not trying to do brands
1: But I have to say Because I thought Oh I'll just buy this product And this is not A sponsored thing at all <laughs> This is genuinely really I was amazed sound like it I I, I, I realise I can't help but sound Like I'm doing You like should a,
0: have just Not said the brand
1: Okay forget I said the brand Oven something and um, anyway, it's little box thing, and I thought, oh, this uh, our oven is disgusting. And it was like moving out tenancy and ending, ending yeah, thing. nightmare. And so you pour the bleach in or everything. I was reading the instructions so carefully because it was like there were so many bits that were saying, like do not touch it. Like <laughs> yeah, you, <laughs> yeah, right. If in order to touch drain it, it your finger you will need fall to right cut off. the bottom yeah. of the corner of the bag so you can drain it directly into the sink. If it touches you, wash your hands immediately and do not get in your eyes, man. And, those and warnings was,
0: get even more heightened when you got kids in the oh, house. Trust scary, me.
1: scary, scary. But anyway lo and behold i actually did the job and i could not believe it and then the reason why i mentioned the product thing was because i was then really proud of like
0: what i'd achieved with my oven you became an evangelist yeah Yeah. basically
1: because i was like look how good this oven is like it actually looks clean i didn't know you could see through the doors of my oven i thought it was like tanned (laughs) brown i'm not saying it's the (laughs) nicest cleanest thing but i am proud
0: because it actually did the job and i was like Wow, a product that actually does it. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, I don't know where I want this discussion topic to go. Not that anyone will email in, of course, but like (laughs) whether we should stick with smoothies and believe in their promises or amazing products that change your life.
1: (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but it's just nice having a product. It's the only time I can think in recollection where
0: I've had a product which actually like delivered you do get used to the tactics of marketeers mm. where they know exactly the words and sentence structures to use so you can't sue them for lying but it sounds like the product <laughs> it's going to do a lot more than it it's does it's going to miracle you or something yeah yeah it's very sneaky business so volumizing you found a good shampoo one. oh deceptive uh listeners have a great week bye, bye. so dumb
1: <laughs> right is it recording me now yeah, yes
0: yeah, no oh, let me start again i'll just pretend to be surprised again <laughs> Bit of pop culture, reference Exactly, a lot of fell. pop pop. Mm. <sighs> Happy, birthday, birthday, to Happy birthday, birthday
1: to Josh. Happy birthday to Josh.
0: Happy birthday to Josh. I run out. Happy, Happy birthday to Josh. to Josh. Can we do the big thing? What's the big thing? Uh, many more. more. <laughs> okay, terrible singing. The main point of that listeners, is to say happy birthday to one of the real super Bailey bros out there. The J-Man, Josh, the big bro. He's at the top of the tree in just for every way, actually. Pioneering he the, succeeded the academically, life of the Bailey children. <laughs> financially, in love and life before all of us, Phil. Happy
1: birthday, brother.
0: Yes. Uh, we're recording this on your birthday, but you won't hear it then. It'll be a day later. It'll
1: be a nice little treat.
0: Uh, sorry, listeners. That was very indulgent. <laughs>